Hey there, listeners. Mick Rowland here. This week's podcast will be a little different. I'm leaving the survey open for a few more days for any procrastinators out there. I noticed a couple of results have been trickling in here and there, so figured I'd leave it open for the last of you. If you haven't cast your vote, so to speak, there's still time. I gave the URL in the previous episode, but there's also a clickable link on my blog. That's Mick dash roland.com slash blog. Thanks to all of you who did respond already. I appreciate you letting me know how you'd prefer to see book three posted and the comments. I should have the results rather soon. While we wait for the survey to close, I thought I'd take you along with me for my morning rounds here at the, here at the homestead. You might have guessed that we were going to check on the chickens first. Bring him some snacks of kitchen scraps from the day before. We got chickens as a sort of taking things up a level in our food preparations. Uh, You know, we can store quite a bit of food, but eventually stored food runs out. So... Our goal with the chickens was to add a renewable protein source so that we get the the eggs as a regular source of protein. And then, of course, there's meat occasionally. Chickens became the next step up for food preparedness. Yeah, there's a lot I could say about chickens, but maybe I'll have to save that for a a separate episode because... Don't have all day for that now. Have to go around the strawberry bed to get to the other side of the chicken coop to check on my broody hen. There's a lot of flowers in here now. Here in New Hampshire, we had had, about a week ago, we still had frost. Nights down in the 20s, frost on the grill cover. But then shortly after that, we had days in the upper 70s, low 80s, and that's all it seemed to take for these strawberries. All of a sudden, there's flowers all over the place. Good to see. Of course, that also tells me I'm going to have to fix this broken garden gate and throw some bird netting over it just to make sure that I get the strawberries and the critters don't. Come down on the other side of the coop. Just for fun, we'll check for eggs. Yeah, nope, no eggs. It's a little early yet. Then we will check on the broody hen. There she is. Her food and water is okay. Yeah, how are you doing? She's about two weeks into her three weeks of sitting, so she'll be hatching some babies here pretty soon. Sort of the next step in having chickens for sustainable protein source is to have a rooster so that I can have a renewable flock and I don't have to go to tractor supply to get new chicks every year. Open up her run door so she can get out. She stays on the nest 99% of a day, but for 15-20 minutes a day she'll get out She'll roll around and 
do a dust wallow out here in the run. She'll get a little food, a little water, and then she goes back and sits. She just mostly sits on the eggs. We got roosters a few years ago. I say roosters plural because we've had one at a time for years, and most of the time they've been uh, uppity and decided that they were number one. And eventually they had to be uh, retired, or as I've been saying, uh, not renew their contract. But this past rooster that we've got, he's been well behaved, he knows his place, so he gets his contract renewed. With those roosters, we'd been incubating the fertilized eggs for a couple of years, and that was all fine, we got the chicks, but it's a little bit more work to brood them in the box and take care of them before they get big enough to introduce. About three years ago, one of my hens decided she was gonna go broody. And this is a breed that's not supposed to go broody, but I guess she hadn't read that, so she did anyway. And since then, I've had at least one hen go broody each year so that I don't have to do much of anything other than give her a maternity ward to hang out in. And she sits on the eggs and then she tends to the babies. I end up with baby chicks every year without having to buy them or deal with it myself. So beside the half run is my onion patch. Yes, and they are starting to make their buds, I guess you could call it. A little swollen spot that's going to become top sets. I got these walking onions quite a few years ago and planted a little patch because I liked the idea of a perennial onion that these stay in the soil and when you dig them up of course they're done but they make these top sets which are kind of like pearl onions at the end of a stalk. For years I had been just saving the best of them and planting and making a bigger patch but you can only have so many onion patches so what to do with the rest. Last year I got an idea too late to do anything about it was to harvest these top sets while they're still young and they don't have their tough papery coating yet, dice them up, dehydrate them, and either keep them as onion flakes or grind them up and make my own onion powder. And that seems like that would be a useful harvest out of this patch. I'm also down here to check on the fruit trees. I like to make it part of my morning rounds to at least show my face down here. Don't want the squirrels to think that nobody notices. The pear trees are done with their flowering. They did petal fall. So I can check on those. I'm also checking on that Anjou pear because it seems to be the thirstiest, the first to notice if things are a little dry. I ended up draining one of my rain barrels trying to keep the thing hydrated. Now the apple trees are in blossom. My, my best apple tree got hit hard by a porcupine, so it's looking a little stressed. It didn't make quite as many flowers as it did last year. I'm hoping it'll hang on and recover from the attack. But I do have to water that Anjou pear. So I come down each morning and give the pear a bucket of water. from the well.
especially if it's before dawn, it gets to soak in before it evaporates. The other fruit trees seem to have put down deeper roots, so they're not as affected by the dryness, but for some reason, that Anjou pear just doesn't. So I have to water it. The pear trees did really good last year. I was really surprised and pleased. And they're making quite a few flowers, so I'm hoping to see a lot of fruit this year, too. Down beside the well is my new lowest patch of garden. I put that in a couple of years ago. It was a reclaimed bit of the yard that was just a lot of brambles, like wild blackberry and multiflora rose, plenty of weeds and ferns. Got some sort of vine thing along the back there too. What is that? Oh, we might let that live. That looks like a wild grape. Anyway, I reclaimed it out of what was an overgrown edge of the yard between the house, the buildings, the yard, and what I've been calling the swamp pond. Uh, it's sort of not enough of a pond because there isn't hardly any open water and it's sort of a swamp, but it's really wet. I was looking for a place to expand our garden space. Again, it's all part of the food production. You can only get so much food out of a plot of ground in a, in a season. So I thought I would expand my garden space and till up what was an otherwise unused bit of the property. The soil isn't all that good. It's basically kind of a cheap fill, whatever they had left over from when they dug out the basement of the house and were pushing it around to push a little yard into what was the swamp pond. So it's not very good soil. The first year I thought, well, let's just plant something in whatever it is for soil and see how it grows. I had some sweet potatoes, some uh, couple of varieties of squash. And I have to say, it was really feeble. They were the scrawniest looking vines and the saddest little leaves. and They were just not happy down here at all. Which kind of reminds me of those advertisements you see for survival seed banks, where the premise of the whole product seems to be that if things get bad and food gets scarce, you can go out and dig up a piece of your yard and make a garden and plant all these seeds and then you're going to be feasting on veggies and your family will be saved. And I thought, if my little patch down here that first year is any indication, they're going to be hungry. Because all I got out of this little patch was two little winter squash about the size of a tennis ball. That was it. Since then I've been amending the soil with compost and uh, wood ash, which puts potassium back in the soil, and liquid gold for nitrogen. This year I'm going to see how it does with cabbages, because cabbages are supposed to like having uh, a moister soil. I thought having this patch beside the well would mean it would be easy for watering, but it's turned out, because the patch is near the swamp pond, that it uh, stays pretty moist all by itself without me watering it. So I'm hoping the cabbages will be happy down here this year. We'll see. I have lots of cabbage seedlings, so that patch is kind of a, 
a good example of whether or not you can just all of a sudden put in a garden and expect to get a lot of food. I mean, gardening isn't rocket science, but neither is it as simple as Mr. Bloomberg seems to think. This new garden plot was one of my recent projects. Let me take you over to the other side of the house and look at another project that I've been mulling over. Not all that seriously, but it's been intriguing me. The little stream that feeds my swamp pond starts out on the hillside of the neighbor's property across the road. Comes under and begins a little cascade over the rocks. It's an intermittent stream in that it runs pretty well in the spring when the snow is melting and most of the time in the spring and early summer from the rains. Come August it tends to dry up and it's just a little sandy bed. And one of the projects that I had in mind, but that I never seemed to have time for, would be to create a pond here where I could dig it out and use the dirt that I've dug out to create the little earthen dam and create a pond that would have a body of water that I could tap off of if I needed it. Maybe a little solar pump on it to uh, pump it up into a barrel nearby. But that's just one of those projects that I've never had time for. It would be a little bit of a challenge to cut down all of these sumac that have grown up along in here and then of course you'd have to dig through all the roots and either pull them up or just whatever. But a little pond would be cool, I just don't have time. So one of the notions that a friend and I were talking about, this friend, prepper friend that lives up in the mountains, was that if there was a collapse and things had gone bad, that people would be hungry and looking for food. And one idea was to have them maybe work for food instead of just handing it out for free. Of course, one of those problems is that our, uh, our society has gotten used to getting stuff for free. So would people really work for food or would they expect it to just be free? A friend at church, his grandfather had been alive and working during the Great Depression. They had a dairy farm, so actually, as far as the Depression went, they were pretty well off. And he said they didn't even really know that they had a Depression because, well, they were fairly self-sufficient on their dairy farm. But there were a lot of city folk who came out and were looking for food. Being a farm, they figured there'd be food there. And the grandfather would have people or he would offer for people to split firewood in exchange for a meal. And back then, a lot of people did that, so he traded work for food. Nowadays, you kind of wonder, would the hungry of today be willing to work for their food, or would they just expect it to be for free? And then this friend up in the mountains and I were sort of musing about is post-catastrophe handing out food, is it kind of like feeding a stray dog? After you've started giving them free food, will they sort of never go away and expect you to keep giving them free food? One notion was that if you offered to say, well, if you'll help me dig out my pond, I'll 
give you a meal. And would people take me up on that or would they walk on saying, yeah, that's okay, I'm going to see if I can find it for free someplace else. Haven't decided. The friend up north worries that if you do anything of letting them know that you've got enough food to give away, that they're just going to be hanging around looking for more. Or they might get more belligerent knowing that you've got it and you're just being a big meanie for not sharing it. That's a debate we never really settled. But I had sort of thought I would scope out that if it did come to that, maybe some of the labor to create my little pond would come from neighbors or passers-by who were looking for a meal and could exchange some labor for it. I, of course, if the crisis doesn't happen anytime in the next couple of years, I'm probably just going to have to dig out this pond by myself. Oh well. Coming back up to the house and to check on the little plants in the cold frame. made this coal frame out of some recycled lumber and a repurposed storm window. And it's been a kind of a handy spot for my little baby plants to get hardened off to the cooler outdoor temperatures, although an 80 degree day, they almost cooked. I've got some tomatoes, of course, and some cabbages. I'm really kind of excited to see how those cabbages do this year. They were from the seeds that I gathered last year. I think I had a blog post on that too. Cabbage is a, a biannual, so the first year you get ahead, and if you can help it survive the winter, the second year you get flowers. And so I let them go to flower and harvested the seeds, but I don't know how they're gonna turn out as heads of cabbage, because I think one of them that was flowering was a, a hybrid. And the other one was, a, I think, a Walmart brand sort of generic cabbage, so I really don't know how they're going to turn out, but they're from my own seeds, so I'm looking for that. And I see my cow peas are doing well. I'm going to try this year using my cow peas as a, a different sister in the Three Sisters planting. Normally you'd use pole beans along with your corn, and I'm still going to plant pole beans because they grow really well here, and I like the dry beans for food storage for the winter, good for bean soups and chilies and things. But the, uh, the corn doesn't grow all that well, so the stalks aren't strong enough to hold up all of those beans, and the beans just pull the corn over. So I plant the beans, pole beans, a little further back so they can climb their own poles. But these cow peas are kind of a bush bean. Uh, cow pea is a, a black-eyed pea, and normally they're not really people food, although you can eat them but I'm growing them uh, to see if I can grow a, a protein source as a chicken food because chickens need their protein too. This year I thought I'd grow them indoors for a while, which I did, give them a head start so when I plant them amongst the corn, they'll, uh, they'll not get shaded out. Cow peas need a pretty warm soil before they'll germinate. So last year when I tried them, they germinated so late that by the time they finally came up, the corn was big and was shading them out and they didn't do anything at all. Yep, pretty soon it'll be time to get things in the ground and it's going to be even busier here. 
despite the busy, I do plan to be recording chapters of book three starting soon. I guess that's it for my little tour. I've posted some pictures from this little morning tour to my Buy Me A Coffee site. They'll be in the posts section if you're curious what some of these things look like. Should head back in and get myself a cup of coffee, which reminds me to say thank you to all those of you who did buy me a coffee on my Buy Me A Coffee site. I do appreciate the coffee and the support. So, I'll talk to you next week.